Welcome to Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. I'm Dave Ellingson, adventurer, author, educator, and seeker of wisdom. Welcome to Say What? and our podcast series, The Magic of Music. Today's guest doesn't easily fit in any boxes, and she probably delights in that. She's a singer-songwriter. She's a speaker. Uh, she's a, a mom. She's a wife. She's a teacher. Oh, my goodness. Celia Whitler, how do you do it all? Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I think caffeine, a little Maybelline, <laughs> whatever it takes, right? Well, tell us about your musical journey. You know, what? who have the influences been? You know, what's been the inspiration? Kind of take us through that long and winding road. Well, I grew up in Louisiana. My dad was a preacher. I've always said I've had the therapy. I'm okay. I've <laughs> kind of gotten through that. Um, yeah, yeah. My family sang, I mean, um, five-part harmony around the piano. I thought everyone did that. And my mom wrote songs. I thought everybody's mom did that. Um, and I sang publicly from the time I was three. And oh, wow. everyone always said, oh, you're going to be a singer. You're going to end up being a singer. And um, I just didn't really know. I went to college um, and had a wonderful experience at Centenary College in Shreveport, small liberal arts college. And, and people still said, oh, you're going to end up being a singer. I was in this great choir that toured internationally and toured in the States. And I was an education major and an elementary ed major. I worked at a church and loved youth. And I think that's why I walked through the youth ministry door when I did start traveling and singing, because there was something very personable and very at home with youth and teenagers and their story and youth directors. And I graduated from college and I taught um, sixth grade uh, science, blew things up, caught things on fire and love, <laughs> love kids. And, and then um, married my best friend, Ron Whitler. We moved to Texas, which I love being there. We were in Plano and a friend of mine who was traveling in a Christian band um, had another friend that wanted to do a demo and, and I didn't know what that was. And he called me and said, would you sing on it? And it kind of like the music industry, it didn't happen. I learned the songs, the demo didn't happen. And Ron said, Hey, won't you just make a demo? I was like, well, why would I make a demo? And, um, we made one, I kind of got a lot of different advice and people said, be diverse, show all the different things you could do. So this one friend was living in Nashville. I came to Nashville. I met with people and they said, guys, this is too diverse. Who do you want to be? And, and I can remember them asking me, who do you sound like? And me saying, I sound like me. Um, mm -hmm. Early, early on, I met Mary John Wilkin, who I didn't know anything about Nashville and songwriters. And she had written um, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. She also wrote The Long Black Veil, which the Stones recorded and um, the Chieftains recorded. And she really set me on a path to songwriting. And she said, your story, and she'd been a teacher. 
and she had left teaching. Um, she had done Christian music and at some point started doing country music. She signed Chris Christopherson and, and just really kind of fanned the flame for telling my own story. I can remember my first interview like this, me calling her and saying, should I, should I write down my answers? Should I have a platform? <laughs> Someone told me I should have a platform. And she's like, oh, heavens no, Celia. Just talk from your heart. Mm -hmm. Sing from your heart. Be wise as a serpent. Christian industry, Christian music business industry does not always mean that people are going to be kind. Things are going to be fair. Um, and I really heard a lot of no's in Nashville. I started traveling and singing while I was teaching, left teaching my first fifth graders at the time were my biggest fans. Ron was doing youth ministry. Um, I made a, a cassette. There weren't CDs then. I made my first cassette and some honky tonk guys played on it and they were lovely. And um, I would go back to Nashville and people would say, well, how many gigs are you doing? I was like, I, 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 none. And they would, people would give me advice. I'd go back to Dallas and I'd start booking things. And I'd go back to Nashville and they said, well, how many cassettes are you selling? I was like, you know, none. Well, you need to start selling cassettes. And, and I just start <laughs> learning, you know, and I would talk to people in sales and I would talk to friends and um, business and how do you book a concert? And I talked to artists. Billy Crockett was so gracious. Billy Sprague, um, uh, Cynthia Wilson Felder. Um, different people said, here's how I do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I just started really for me, it was building relationships yeah. Yeah. with those youth directors, those music directors, those pastors. And then as I grew, I went from doing local gigs within three months, doing regional gigs within six months and within a year singing nationally outside of Dallas. And we decided to move to Nashville to be around really genuinely other musicians, other songwriters, other artists. And um, I was doing 80 dates and came to Nashville and people would be like, what? <laughs> like, How are you doing this? And I was like, is that a lie? <laughs> someone asked me to do a, a, a Christian magazine and I said, okay, I need to call Ron because if I don't know how much money we have to be able to pay you to be able to do that. And he was like, what are you talking about? Oh, so yeah, I mean, I just was so, I was a sponge. I just mm -hmm. learned and made a lot of mistakes and uh, eventually um, met an amazing songwriter who's become a dear friend. And we started having breakfast together, he and his wife and Ron and I, and he said, hey, I can remember moving to Nashville and, and needing a hand. If you ever need a studio, why don't you just use mine? Mm -hmm. And he eventually ended up mixing all of my albums and he'd say, well, I'm, I'm doing Willie Nelson's album in March and then I'm doing Winona's in May and maybe I could squeeze you in in April somewhere. And he'd never let me pay him. I'd always try to get tickets to go see Harry Connick Jr. or Tina Turner or different things to thank him. Um, and Brent Mayer just opened a lot of doors for me to, to make those albums. I made about two 
every, one every two years and didn't know that that was extraordinary. I was just finding songs, writing songs, traveling, speaking. If people said, I need a speaker, I was like, I can speak. <laughs> people said, I, I need a worship leader. I can lead worship. Whatever the thing was, I just, and I always tried to be a giver. You know, other artists in front of me, if I met someone, uh, I can remember meeting Martina McBride in, in the airport with her youngest daughter and saying, how are you traveling like this? And she said, well, here's what I do. And you know, I'm mom until I step on stage. And when I step off stage, I'm mom. Mm -hmm. And um, mm. just I'm the same person where you see me at Walmart, or you see me in the kitchen, or you see me at the Superdome. And I just tried to learn from all of those places and people. And one of my favorite quotes, um, someone said, write your life. You know, I mean, Ken Meadema was like, write about your stories, write about your friends, write about your struggles. And a lot of times I didn't find songs that met the needs and the experiences I were, was going through. And so I had to learn how to write those. Mm -hmm. And um, once I started writing with country songwriters, it was evident that that was the true magic is, yeah. you know, write something that everyone can relate to because it's so personal. <laughs> that everyone can see themselves in that place. Well, and, you know, as you describe that, that uh, I've been talking with a lot of wonderful musicians in recent days. And the key thing that stands out other than the just sponge learning that you talk about, uh, the trial and error on the journey is relationships. I've heard that over and over again. The key is the relationships. It, it really genuinely is. And I think, when I'd come home, I mean, many times I would get on an airplane and I would just weep. Um, and I would always tell the guitarist, I'm okay. I just have given everything. And I have just um, listened to people's stories and I've shared my real stories. And sometimes it wasn't always easy. There were people who a couple of women's retreats that I did that folks said, oh gosh, you know, we just kind of wanted to have a fun light weekend. And I wasn't afraid to go deep. I wasn't afraid to scare, share the real depth of um, an eating disorder or losing a friend to cancer or caring for my father with hospice. Um, but also the joy of having kids, the joy of, um, having and I always said this a wealth of life I might not have a wealth of wealth but I wanted a wealth of life and I knew that I couldn't give everything on the road and come back with nothing but I pretty much did that and and found solace in my relationship with Ron in my family and going to the good cup and sitting with my friend for hours and 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 just letting myself recharge and those relationships that I met on the road I mean genuinely they became my friends and my family and I would tell many youth you're my family for the weekend so yeah. if you see me in the hall please lift me up say something that encourages me if you know if you need something I'm your family and I just I do I felt like the paralytic many times I was carried by all of those years of being in relationships with those folks and really 
there came a time in my traveling and singing and speaking and writing books and all of it where I realized it was really a part, the journey was a part of spiritual growth. Yeah. You know, and I'm really a farmer going out and sowing these seeds Mm -hmm. and they're growing after I leave. And really God is doing the saving of us all. Not me, not my song, not what I said. Uh, But Anne Lamont's book, Traveling Mercies, the church tied a rope around me and held on. Mm -hmm. There were little bitty breadcrumbs along the way. I was devouring books. I was reading scripture. I was coming home and and unplugging from that. So I, I genuinely felt like I was a part of spiritual growth and just music was the format, the vehicle. Well, it sounds like you are going to sow some seeds of music for us. And, and you have your, your life partner, your husband, Ron, by your side there, and he's going to accompany you. Ron, good to have you with us. What are you going to, are you going to share? What are you going to share with us, Celia, um, to get us going as you sow some of those seeds? Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this one friend of mine who, um, he was about 10 years older than I was, 13 years older than I was. And, and we went to Thanksgiving Christmas together many, many years. He had written um, Grandpa for the Judds. And I would always ask him um, if we could write. And he'd be like, oh, no, let's not write. Let's just go have pie. And I'd be like, no, no, let's write. And, <laughs> and for years, he'd say, oh, no, no, let's not write. Let's just, let's go, let's go have some piece of cake. And and one year at Thanksgiving, we had this misfit, misfit Thanksgiving where if anybody didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving, we all ended up at this one friend's house. And and I would always ask him, I said, hey, hey, let's write. And he said, hey, let's, let's write. And he wrote for Sony. We went down to Sony. And while we're writing, we would just talk for hours. And I think, are we ever going to write? You know, are we ever going to get to a song? And he'd be like, okay, kid, what you got? And uh, we wrote several songs, which I just, I love so much. And one time I took another friend that I was traveling with um, to write with, with Jamie O'Hare and, and they all started talking about their dads and how their dads had passed away and they wish they could talk to their dads. And um, I said, you know, my dad was, my dad was a preacher, but he never said much to me. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, that's the first line. And so this one's called um, Talking to My Own Man. And what I love that it's from a male perspective. So there's a place where you, where I say um, the man that I've become. And I always, teenagers would always laugh. And I'd say, just think of me if, as a superwoman or a superman for you for just a second. And I just think there's so much humanity in this song and how um, as kids, sometimes we butt heads with our parents, but then as parents, we get it. And we're the ones who kind of want to be about restoring the relationship. And um, this one's never been cut, but it's always been one of my favorites. And he passed away about two weeks ago of cancer. And um, he was in the group, the O'Kanes. And boy, I've been listening to a lot of his songs. And I'm, I'm grateful for this little gem. Uh, Billy Tennyson and Jamie O'Hare and I wrote this one. Daddy was a preacher, never said much to me. Maybe I just wasn't listening, too young, too wild to see. 
in between who was right and wrong always got out of hand i never found no common ground talking to my old man maybe we were too different too much alike too quick on the trigger too slow to back off of a fight well as long as i remember right up through the end that's the way things always were talking to my old man and i climb up on this ranch top when the full moon shines this bright and i hear the night wind whispering words we couldn't say like i love you i'm sorry and i understand after all these years i'm finally talking to my own man once i told him to his face i'll never be like you i've made enough mistakes to know he was only human too and i think he might be proud of me for the man that i've become i now know that he wanted only the best for his son so i climb up on this ridge top where the full moon shines this way i hear the night wind whispering words we couldn't say i love you i'm sorry i understand after all these years i'm finally talking to my old man Mama said you'll never know till you have one of your own. And I can't forget the way I wept the day we brought him home. So I climb up on this ridge top where the full moon shines this way. I hear the night wind whispering words. I pray I'll always say, I love you, I'm sorry. Son, I understand just me and my boy sitting here talking to my old man. Oh my, that you know, I you're you were singing that to your dad, weren't you? And and For sure. And I, I, I hear him with a loud uh, amen and hallelujah and I love you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We talked more when Johnny Carson was on than we did during the day. <laughs> it's those sideways conversations sometimes right. with guys, right? It's not face to face or That's heart right. to heart. It's, it's side to side. I, I hear right. you. I hear you. That's right. what's, what's the next tune you're going to do for us? Well, you know, uh, I guess it's all about dad. Um, well, you know what, let's do a little Live Christ. I, um, I wrote Live Christ when I got back from an event and um, a young girl, Narissa Hackman had passed away in a car accident and her youth group came to this event and she was the one that got everybody to sign up for the event. And there were only about 13 kids in her youth group. And they brought about 60 kids to this youth event that I was supposed to speak for and sing for. And, 
And Narissa said, this woman's going to speak and I want us to go hear the word of God through her. And all these kids came up to me and told me about her and how she loved baptism. She thought they should have squirt guns in the, in the pews <laughs> and squirt toward the babies that she loved scripture. She did um, Bible studies. Um, she loved use telling their interpretation and partnering with the pastor and introducing sermons and the best thing is that she just lived Christ mm. and I can remember getting home and I had heard so many stories about her I called her mom Louise and I said you've got to tell me more about her mm. and um, she said I've learned more about my daughter and her death than in her life and how she really encouraged and nurtured she was a very quiet person and yet she had this extraordinary life at 16 where she just lived Christ. And I was doing the laundry and I wrote the words, live Christ, love Christ, share Christ, be Christ. And then I got the clothes out of the dryer and I thought it can't be just a list. All these things do today, all these things help me along the way. And I, I got a chance to go back to her church and sing and meet her youth group. And my favorite part of her story is that she played in the praise band. She didn't sing. She said, my voice is too scratchy and too squeaky. She didn't play any instrument. She tried to play the tambourine. They said, give that back to us. And <laughs> she sat on the bench and turned the page for her best friend who played the piano. Mm. And I thought, turn a page for Christ, turn a page for God do a small thing for the Holy Spirit in the world. And um, Larissa taught me that one. Live Christ, love Christ, share Christ, be Christ. All these things do today all these things along your way and live peace love peace share peace still you be peace all these things do today and all these things along your way and live hope, love hope, share hope, be hope. Cause all these things you can do today, all these things along your way. And live love, 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 share love, go be love. All these things do today, all these things along your way. Live Christ, love Christ. Share Christ, be Christ. All these things do today. 
all these things along your way all these things do today all these things along your way turning the page wow um you know and that line about along your way i think sometimes we think um the faith is these big dramatic mountaintop experiences and it can be but often it's those little things those things that don't get noticed and <laughs> as you're changing the clothes in the dryer you know <laughs> the music the music comes to you it's just it's just a gift and it's a wonderful gift that's a that's going to be that song is going to be playing in my head today so thank you for that that tune <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I always thought it was a gift to me. I never really thought it was mine. And when we did the book on the way to somewhere, I asked the publisher, um, we don't want copyright on it. I've never, I've never earned money on that song. I've always said, I want churches and camps and places to sing it. And when they forget my name, maybe they'll remember a song they learned from somebody from somebody, somebody that mm -hmm. taught them that song and it kind of helped them along the way. Yeah, I can see myself sitting around a campfire or going for a <laughs> walk and just singing as I walk along the way. So a great piece. Now, the, the next several songs you're gonna do, um, as I listened again and saw some of your uh, notes, um, a number of these pieces were were written with others. There's that songwriting community, those relationships you're talking about. Um, tell us about uh, the song we're going to hear now. I, I think the next one is uh, She Prays. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote that with Billy Crockett. He's a, a Texas songwriter. And it's just simply, I mean, um, just I guess it's me. It's a little bit of you. Um, I went to my 10-year reunion and I stood at the punch bowl with the homecoming queen and we both shared. Um, she had gone to her Baptist church. I had gone to the Methodist church. She had gone through some hard times and I had gone through some hard times. And I can remember walking away from that thinking all those years, she just looked perfect. Like everything was right in her life. And yet she prays too. So let's listen to She Prays. She feels like a prom queen walking downstairs. Every I follow, she wonders if she'll cry. I lift her head and smile as the light hits her eyes. A flower in the wild after a soft rain dries. She knows what you're thinking, you love what you see. Would you still love her if you saw underneath? A fragile little 
Celia, you know, I have four daughters. <laughs> They're all adults now. Two of them are moms. Three of them are teachers. And I, and I think about that struggle that uh, girls have, you know, they have to be perfect. They have to look a certain way. They have to behave a certain way. And, and, and yet this young gal prayed and it feels like it grounded 
her and and grounds you. For sure. I I got this amazing opportunity to sing for um, the United Congregational Church up in the Northeast. United Church of Christ. United Church of Christ. Thanks, Ron. Um, and this one group of Christian educators brought me in. And I, from that experience, I started singing all up in the Northeast. And I can remember being in Maine and driving by this harbor and these boats being in this harbor and me thinking, we really could be that for each other. We really are that for each other. This I'm teaching first grade right now and I had some girls that were mean to each other. And I pulled all my girls in the hall and I told them that story that I saw this harbor, I pulled over, I sat, I started crying, thinking about how beautiful this scene was. And then I thought of all the people in my life who were harbors for me. And I told these girls, these seven-year-old girls, you're harbors for each other. Mm. You are you are the friends that that lift each other up and that that say, I'm for you, I'm I'm cheering you on. And that's the best of who we are. And um, I guess I walked away from that tenure reunion in Lafayette High School. And I can remember I'd gone through an eating disorder. I was thinking about going in, my hands were ringing and Ron looked at me and said, are these people your source? And I said, they're not. And he said, then let's go in and, and be that. And I asked people, what do you love in your life? And all night talked to, I mean, at the end of the night, you know how they nominate you for different awards. I was not nominated most changed. And I was like, what were you like in high school? I was like, I don't know. I never really talked to a lot of folks freely mm. about just life. And that night I did. And because of that, we heard some amazing stories and back to those relationships. Um, we really are harbors for each other. And it's it could be a beautiful thing and we certainly need that now well the next song you know you mentioned you were a pk i happen to be a pk too and so so i i love the title of this and 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 um you know we pks had to behave or at least we learned to cover our tracks well and and just the title of this song and i love the song you know should have taken that ride tell us a little bit about this oh, this, oh my so I'm at a birthday party of a hundred year old woman who was a grandmother, mother, and um, her two kids come up to me and they said, we know you're in Nashville and we know you're writing songs and you're always looking for ideas and, and um, we've got a story for you. And I was like, and we, we think this would be a great song. And I was like, okay, let's hear it. When they were five and six years old. When the hundred year old was, right? No, when they were five and six years old, they went to visit their grandmother, the hundred year old's mother on this farm. And while they were there playing with their cousin, Charlie, they noticed a, a, a crop duster. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere and this crop duster was, was dust in the fields. And they chased him all around the farm and they were, watching him and they went to the front of the house and he landed uh -huh. 
And he went up to these three kids at the, at the mailbox, just on a dirt road and got out of his plane. And he said, uh, what are you kids doing? And they were like, we're watching you fly. And he said to the three of them, uh, do you want to go for a ride? And the oldest, Charlie said, oh no, my mom will spank me. I can't, I cannot get in that plane. And the other two, the brother and sister said, oh yeah, the five-year-old and the six-year-old said, yeah, we want to go for a ride. So this young pilot, he was in his twenties, put them in the plane and took off while Charlie stood there by the mailbox and watched and the mothers and the grandmothers, they kind of noticed it was kind of quiet around the house and they didn't see the kids and they started looking for him and calling for him. And they went out to the front of the yard and they saw Charlie standing by the mailbox. They said, where are your cousins? And he pointed to the sky and started crying. And he just pointed up and they looked up into their horror. They saw their two kids waving down, you know, no seat belts in this, you know, crop dusting plane. And eventually the plane la landed. The two who were telling me the story said that was the worst spanking we've ever gotten in our lives, but it was the best spanking. And eventually the grandmother died, people moved away from the farm and years passed and they had a reunion 50 years, 30 years later. And Charlie came up to them and he didn't say, hey, thanks for the Christmas card. Hey, it's good to see you. How's your mom doing? He said simply, I should have taken that ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear that great story put into music. Should have taken that ride. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Six years old that summer on my granddad's farm And his old biplane dust and cotton set down by the barn He said, hey you two, wanna go for a ride? He hopped right in, I stayed behind And what might have been slipped away for a very long time I 
inspiration is going to come from and you know as we get older and look back and you, you hopefully don't have um, too many regrets and uh, the adventure just continues and I, I know for me in I call it my third act I rebel against the notion of retirement right I, I I'm I'm just on my adventure and you know me I love to kayak and go on expeditions and um uh, someone once said to me, don't should on me. Right. And That's right. I think, I think there's too much, too many shoulds out there. And I think we need to, uh, live that abundant life. We had a, as I say, paddle boldly. For sure. And his son was standing next to him at the reunion. And his son said, now dad, is that why we went on that biplane flight that cost a hundred dollars at that little town fair that we saw years ago and he said yeah i drove past that plane and it was like rides for you know uh a certain cost 15 minutes or something and he said i wasn't gonna pass it up again mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i just think i i don't want to be on the porch when I'm 80. And I guess that's why I left the classroom and started traveling and singing. Um, Don um, Underwood was our pastor in Plano and he did a sermon where he said, you went to heaven and, and maybe God's showing you this movie and you're watching it and you go, gosh, I, whose life is that? It looks so familiar. And finally they're like, eat your popcorn, drink your Coke. And at the end, God turned you and said, that could have been your life if you hadn't been afraid. Mm. And I can remember thinking, okay, it's clear to me to pursue this music. And just as clear as it was to pursue when my boys got in high school, it was clear to me to be home with them. And so now I'm teaching first grade, I'm getting my master's, I'm singing to first graders. And that steady is very different than traveling and singing. But um 
I'm so grateful for those nudges mm-hmm. and, and those times when I said, this seems clear and I'm not going to miss the opportunity um, because I was afraid. Yeah. Well, this, this next song, it, it feels like you got into the plane and you went taken <laughs> off and you were looking down and you see this new Jerusalem, you see this dream, this vision that the book of Revelation lifts up. And, and I think about today and the world we live in and how we need vision. Tell us about this song. Well, it's by one of my favorite songwriters, Marcus Hummon, and he has written so many in town. I mean, if anybody really wants to, to follow um, a wonderful songwriter and singer, um, he would be one of the ones. And and I, when I found out who he wrote for, I had a connection and I went and I listened to his entire catalog when I first moved to town. And there were like 300, 400 songs. I would just show up and they go, oh, she's here again, send her to the tape room. And um, I just found this little gem. And I love that this production of it really just, I mean, it lifts your spirits. And it really talks about humanity and where we've all been and where we all could be. And I love that about his songwriting and certainly about this song. New Jerusalem.
Well, I think sometimes we hear those images in the Bible, that New Jerusalem, all those things. And we think, well, you know, in the great by and by, someday, you know, and yet Jesus talked about living that reality now and, and, and bringing that peace and that hope and that love to this earth. And, and, and that is transformative when it happens right here and now. For sure. And for me, I had an amazing professor, um, Pomeroy, and um, he always spoke about the kingdom at Centenary and kingdom deeds and the kingdoms now and what are the things you're doing to bring the kingdom and to be in the kingdom and and the kingdom doesn't look exactly like what you think and um, I love that I love that the first will be last the last will be first the weakest or the strongest the strongest I mean we all together are the kingdom and we're bringing the kingdom and i love the way marcus painted those pictures you can clearly see it and and hear the call to be that live now love now hope now be be christ right exactly right, sure yeah. yeah yeah well this this uh next tune um you know i'm i'm intrigued by the theme of home and yes. what what is home? Um, again, it we think to the future, uh, maybe a heavenly home, but then we think about you think about the homes that we're making for our families now. And uh, how did this how did this song come into being? Well, um, I had a chance to write with um, a pop Nashville artist, Matthew Perryman Jones, and um, we wrote. Um, I call it the trilogy. We wrote three songs and they were inspired by this one friend of mine um, from preschool times when our kids were in preschool together and she had lost her husband and was going through, I mean, just a time of wandering and a time of, you know, she said, I'm, I'm not moving forward or backwards. I'm moving sideways. Mm. And um, we just loved her during it and our family just loved her family and and i can remember her just talking to me about that time in her life and though i hadn't lost someone like that um i knew what it meant to long for home and to long for safety and to long for knowing and matthew and i oh my goodness we went and we ate Mexican food the day we wrote this song and he had written a song that was going to be on Grey's Anatomy that night. And we came back from Mexican and he's like, we have to finish this song. We have to finish the song. And so we finished it. And that night um, I watched Grey's Anatomy and I jumped up and down on my couch and I called him and I was like, oh my goodness. I, I just think music just it, it just is such a wonderful vehicle and um, songwriters celebrate with each other they tell stories together they cheer humanity on and and art itself does that I mean George O'Keefe's music I mean her paintings when I saw them for the first time in Santa Fe I just sat down and wept and and I can remember playing this at the Bluebird Cafe and another songwriter coming up to me and going, where'd you get that song? Did you write that song? And I was like, yes. She's like, how did you write that song? And <laughs> I think sometimes 
I don't know, you just get out of the way mm. and you just, um, my vocal coach always like, when in doubt, be musical, you know, let the music carry you home and be the message. Until I'm home.
Well, once again, it's it's the journey. And, you know, the line that stood out for me in that song that I think is key, or at least one of the keys, is letting go. I think what's harder than letting go of things is letting go of disappointments or what we thought should have been happening now or, or people letting us down or, or our own humanity. And, and I just, I know that... Um, we want to be like Christ in the way we're loved, and yet it's hard to love others that way unconditionally. And um, that kind of is my favorite phrase, too. Yeah, yeah. And so thank you for that. You're going to take us out with something, um, just the name just kind of gets me excited, Rocket. Absolutely. I wrote it with a young boy. Robert um, at a at a camp and um, I did a lot of songwriting camps um, up in Ohio for wonderful Camp Asbury. They used to bring me in and I'd write with um, elementary school kids, middle school kids, high school kids, college students would find me. People, people worked in the kitchen. I got a song idea, you know, and <laughs> I wrote songs um, all the time and I was there and my family came up to meet me and they had a group of, of uh, teenagers whose parents had had been battling cancer. And they said, would you be willing to come in and write some songs with them? And my whole family and guitarists, we all kind of spread out. Max and Zach were young and they went and sat and wrote songs with teenagers. And I was talking to this young man about inner city Cleveland and, and just about his life. And we ended up writing this song together which I love. And my favorite line is it is, um, it was, was Robert's line, um, like a song, I'm gonna lift us all. And how chasing our dreams, um, hope is with us that we could leave the circumstance where we are and we could um, regardless of what's happening to us, adjust our sails and know the wind's going to blow and we're going to be in a new direction. And so I've always loved this song and I'm grateful for that time with him. Well, and we're grateful for you and we're grateful for your uh, husband, Ron, there, who's playing along. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes the, the band doesn't get uh, the creds. And so That's I want right. to make sure that he... He gets a shout out here too. So let's well, hear Rocket. We got catering in the kitchen, so we're okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the dogs are on the couch. We got a, yeah. We, I just, it's just been a beautiful day and a wonderful time with you. And um, for all those out there listening, uh, just wish you joy and peace and hope this next year. And um, I, I love sharing these songs. They're just like gifts to people and you hope they fuel their spirit and um, that they know that they're loved because of them. Amen. Thanks so much for the time. Mm -hmm. Here's Rocket. I'm always a moving target, lot of satellite in the sky. Always seem to be starting over with hellos and goodbyes. All the while I am searching for some purpose in my life. 
day to day I hear the stories, the joy and the strife. I'm gonna chase my dreams like a rocket. A fuel to fly is hope in my pocket. Leaving the ground, learning to let go as I go by. Chasing new skies as I fly like a rocket. You're gonna see me shoot across the clouds. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me down. Piece by piece, I tear down these walls. Like a song, I lift a soul. I'm gonna chase my dreams like a rocket. There's fuel to fly, it's hope in my pocket. Leaving the ground, learning to let go as I go by. Chasing new skies as I fly. Go chasing your dreams like a rocket. This beautiful fly, it's hope in your pocket. Leave this world, let all of it go by. Chase new skies as you fly like a rocket. You're Rocket. Go be a rocket. Godspeed. Oh, Celia and Ron Whitler, thank you for this wonderful time. Uh, just a, a final quick question. How can folks find your music and reach you if they want to, I don't know if you're out there and about after the pandemic, book you for a gig, but uh, how, will they, how will they contact you? You know, a lot of folks still keep in touch through my website, celiamusic.net. And um, even though I'm teaching first grade, I'd love to sneak in during a fall break or a spring break or summer break and, and do something I always, always love um, making time to come and do a concert. I do a, a little bit of singing around here. I miss singing in the bluebird days. I sing in first grade now and at my church, um, but I would love to, to hear from folks. And if they, um, you know, would love to have me in, then that's how they can track me down. Well, Celia and Ron, thank you and blessings on your musical journey and on your life journey. Well, Godspeed. Thanks so much. We love being with you. Until next time, I'm Dave Ellingson, and this has been Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. Tune in to Say What on your mobile device, computer, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. In coming episodes of my series, The Magic of Music, join me for jazz, blues, world music, gospel, folk, classical, choral, hip-hop, pop, 
and country. For more information on my books and films and availability to do Zoom presentations, check out my website at dellingson.com. And thanks for listening.